Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Hello, Emily. I'm here and you've given me a pre-warning, John, to strap my seatbelt on. And for the listeners, get ready for this episode. We are excited, aren't we, John? We absolutely are. And, and this person we've got on is an amazing friend of mine. I've known her for over 20 years in a different industry is where we uh, initially met. And I'll introduce her in a moment, of course, but we, we do want to go pretty deep today. So as you said, Emily, strap yourself in because we're, t- we're talking about timing the market. And, and as an investor, that's music to our ears because we, we all want to know how we can get an edge in these interesting market times. Um, not only now, but always, right? We, we, we talk about time in the market and we talk about timing the market. So we're going to talk about um, more so timing the market today, aren't we? So are you ready to do it? I'm ready. Let's go. Catherine Stacey, Co-Director of Property Share Market Economics. Welcome. Thank you, John. And hi, Emily. Now, Kathy, we've known each other for uh, almost 20 years now, which shows our ages, but... Uh, you don't look a day older, John. You look just the same. Thank you. Right back at you. Uh, <laughs> we, one thing that I, I found interesting about you all those years ago was you had an interest in property investing just as I did, and, and that journey's continued for you. So tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been doing, as a, maybe as a property investor, but also what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, actually, you're right, John. Um, I've been investing in property. Gosh, I, I bought my first property when I was 19. And uh, I'm in my mid-50s now, so there you go. <laughs> it's been a while. And I just thought, you know, I just better start buying property because that was the thing to do. And it was all quite random, you know, with what I was doing. But, uh, you know, and the, the GFC happened, it all came crashing down for me, not personally, but for family members of mine. And because they thought the same thing, you just buy property, you know. And um, they moved to Dubai in 2006 and they started to buy and sell property and buy and sell property and, you know, they were doing really well. And uh, I don't know if you just... Just think about what was happening in those years. It was the build-up to the global financial crisis. So they ended up placing just about all of their funds into a property development in Dubai, and then the GFC happened just like that, seemingly just like that. And no one, no one knew the crash was going to come. No one knew. 
that was the rhetoric that no one knew it was coming. And my family members, you know, they came back to Australia, originally from Adelaide, and they had to start all over again. And, you know, you can start all over again, yes, but the, the toll, the emotional toll that takes on you when you work so hard to build something up and then you lose everything. And it was horrific for me to see my family members in that space. And so I, I had to find out why no one knew the GFC was coming. Like I could not accept that no one knew. I just couldn't accept it. And I needed to find out so that I could protect my family. And um, what happened from there, John and Emily, is just kind of have blown my mind because I, I found that there were people that knew that the GFC was coming. And in, not only did people know about it, it had been written. It had been written in books a decade, 15 years before that. And, in fact, um, research had been done for 200 years as to the cyclical events of property rising and crashing and economies rising and crashing. So when I found all of this information that, in fact, the GFC was forecasted and that people knew that it was coming. I just, I, I had to, I, I had to dive deeper into it. And it blew my mind, actually, because, you know, I, I, and all the people that I knew were all conditioned to think that the markets are random and that you don't really know what's coming next in terms of the markets, you know, the share market and the real estate market. And what I learned is, is there's certain drivers of the economy. And whilst these drivers exist, there will be cyclical movements in the real estate and share market. And so I um, just, it took over my life having to learn about all of this and study it. And, uh, and that's when John, you know, you, you and I were working together. Uh, when I when I first discovered all of this, and and that was you know ten years ago or more years ago actually, so um, I've now I now do this professionally. You know I teach people about these cycles. It's um, the eighteen point six year cycle. I teach people about it, and not only do I teach people about it, I've been so fortunate to partner with the guru, the, the, the guy who has um, done all of this research and he's written a book called The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking and his name is Phil Anderson and he's taken the research that um, uh, of, of other books that were written uh, last century and he's placed all of these cycles into one big historical book. It's like a massive text. Um, and it was his forecast that I first came across. So I'm working with him now, and together we try and teach as many people as we can about this particular cycle and um, uh, the timing, the timing of getting into the real estate market is so important. Um, and so that's where, where I am now. Can I just say that's a massive bombshell that somebody out there knew that the GFC was going to occur. And I know our listeners are, be, are probably going like, what, how, how could you know that? How would that even be predicted? And if that could have been predicted, what else could be predicted? I think that's probably one of the biggest questions, right? What else is coming for us? 
Yeah, it is a bombshell, Emily, absolutely. And it wasn't just Phil Anderson that had been preparing his subscribers for the GFC. There's uh, others like Fred Harrison in the UK, uh, Michael Hudson in the US. Um, there are others and, and uh, it's in black and white, you know. It's, it's just that it's not mainstream. You've got to be curious you know, and because of what happened to my family members, I became curious. Mm. And, and so this whole thing about being curious about uh, what's underneath what we're hearing um, uh, when we turn the TV on or when we open up our social media platforms, you know, what, what's underneath all of that? And, and there is. There's a, a massive amount of research underneath that. And, and I can talk about what's come, what's to come if history is to repeat as it has been. I yeah. can talk about what's to come. And we're only really going to touch the surface today, Kath, aren't we? And I think the main, the thing that intrigues me most is, and you made me aware of this, as you said, 10 years ago or more, and there's, there's another book that you'll probably mention um, talking about land values in Chicago. But um, why does mainstream media um, not know about this or maybe more importantly not want to know about this? Well, you've just asked a very deep question, John, to be honest. <laughs> I will try and answer it as succinctly as I can. Uh, without sounding like a crazy person, <laughs> and that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like when when people start predicting stuff, it's like, oh, this is a hoax, or it's just a, a marketing scheme, or it's it's dicey, you know. Like, and when you say the GFC was predicted, like we go back further to the nineteen ninety recession, and and we can go right further back. A lot of our listeners weren't born um, before then, but the the history continues to repeat itself. But it's just uh, amazing that the mainstream media just don't want a bar of it. Yes, okay, there's a couple of things there, there, John. So the 18.6-year cycle first began in the year 1792, okay, but we have short-term memories. No one wants to go back in time. We always think that things are random, but there is data going back to 1792 that shows, like clockwork, these particular cycles. Now, let me preface what I'm about to say next, that the cycles are led by the US, okay, the, the States, America, but Australia we follow, okay. The US economy is the largest economy in the world still <laughs> at the moment, and it has been, and, it's, and it still is at the moment, and, and Australia follows the US. So these um, repeating cycles, we, we have a leader here, and that's in, in America. Now, you ask the question, why don't mainstream media know about it? Let me ask you, who are the most wealthiest people in the world and what do they own? Uh, I'd say property owners, land, landowners. Correct. They own land. They own land. Uh, we can't exist without land. We wouldn't be here without our beautiful earth. Uh, in fact, where we all are in our different states around Australia, listening to this or even overseas, what are we sitting on? We're sitting on chairs, we're sitting in houses that sit on land, okay? It's all about land and people make the most amazing wealth through land and they don't want to lose that. So what I'm saying to you is the reason why we don't know about this is because of vested interests. It's vested interests. Now, I can go deeper and deeper and deeper into this and perhaps, perhaps another time we can do that. 
But when, when there's so much money that is tied up in, in land and people make their absolute wealth from it, they don't want to change things. They don't want to change it. it because it means changing our whole tax system. It means changing who captures the locational value of land. When I say who captures it, it changes from a person capturing it to the government taking the, the gains in land. I'm, I'm, so it's another conversation, a more deeper one, but it's vested interests and that's why our economists don't talk about it now. They used to, but not now. It's why our governments don't talk about it. You know, it's the vested interests. Okay, so talk to us uh, about the 18.6 and, and why it's 18 years, 0.6, and, and why it continues to occur in, in I suppose, broad-level terms, not, not going too deep for the minute. Yeah, well, you know, going back to 1792, it has been on average, so from 15, 15 to 20 years in length. Yeah, so on average, 18.6 years. And... Um, the, the data shows it uh, like, like clockwork. And what happens is there's a 14 years of growth in the economy and in land values, 14 years. In, again, we're looking at the US, 14 years of growth. And then that is cut by four years of, uh, of, of, of a crash and four years of economic devastation. And then once that finishes, after around four years, it starts again, 14 years going up. Now, that 14 years of going up is punctured right in the middle of around the seven-year mark by a short-term short -term slowdown. Sometimes it's a recession. It affects the share market. It affects the economy but it doesn't really affect the land market very much, if at all. So 14 years up, punctured in the middle, around the seven-year mark by a short-term recession. Then at the end of that 14 years, this massive big crash, and that we could go to the GFC as that massive big crash at the end. And then it starts all over again. I think the question that everyone listening is probably wanting to ask you, so I'll ask it on behalf of everyone, where are we right now? in that clock? Like where, where is Australia sitting right now in that time frame? Okay, good question. And I won't, I won't hold, <laughs> I won't keep you in suspense. <laughs> we're actually, we're, believe it or not, but, 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 but it's history repeating. We're in the middle. We're in the middle of that 14 years. In fact, we're just coming out of the, out of that 14 years we're just coming out of that 14 years and, and, and starting the second half of that 14 years. And so um, that's actually really a, quite a promising thing. You know, it's actually great because we're, we're through the worst in terms of the, economically speaking, we're through the, the worst. The share market will probably see some choppy times, um, but the, the land market itself, uh, if history is to repeat as it has, We'll just continue. We'll continue to head up. So, and, and we'll talk about this more towards the end of the uh, conversation. But w when we look at shares and property as the two major asset classes, uh, and and people may be thinking this: where where are we putting shares in in 
2021 and where are we putting property? Are they alongside each other or is one before the other or is it, is it different in the US to Australia? How does that all play out? Yeah, great, great question, John. So the leading indicator, the absolute leading indicator of this bigger 80.6-year cycle is the US land market. That is the number one indicator. And that tops first, that has its peak first. Then the share market peaks after that. Then the economy goes into recession. So one, two, three, land tops first, then the share market, then the economy, and then it all just comes come down together, come crashing down together. Now, how does that relate to Australia? Australia follows the US. It can't go against the US. You know, we... We are not the centre of the universe here in Australia. Oh, wow. We're just a really little country, I thought, I you know. Thought we were. <laughs> so Australia catches the cold, as they say. Um, yeah. So in terms of the share market, I mean, there are times within that fourteen years that uh, we might not have our little in, interim tops and bottoms at exactly the same time as the US, but. Uh, when it's a fairly major top like it was in, in February 2020, the share market, uh, it was a major top for most countries around the world and we just came crashing down with the US. Um, but in the interim of those bigger moves, Australia can have its little tantrums, <laughs> uh, but essentially from a share market perspective, Australia follows the US. From a land perspective, um, in terms of when it tops and, and comes down, um, it does have a slightly different timing, only a slightly different timing. But if we do keep our eye on what the US is doing, we're fairly safe there. Now, that is why I can comfortably say that back in 2019, and that's when I first met Emily in 2019, and I could say, I was doing a presentation, I could say in 2019, and, and I, I don't know if the listeners, if you, if you go back and have a look at what the land market was doing, it was still on its way down because we, we were in our, our, our uh, correction. I could confidently say then that it, it's going to bottom soon and it's not going to last. It's just not going to last and we're just going to turn around and keep going back up again. And that's what happened. It bottomed you know, around the third quarter of 2019 and look what's happened since then, even through a pandemic. Um, Australia does follow the US. If we use what we can see in the US as our leading indicator, we, we not going to go too wrong. Okay. So just before we take a break, I'll, I'll get you to answer one other question or, or maybe make an observation. The, there's still anomalies or contradictions to the general cycle um, because people might be sitting here thinking, well, in 2019, my land value definitely hadn't bottomed out and it had grown from 2017 onwards or, or my asset type hasn't performed in the last two years, whereas mine has sort of thing. So talk to us a little bit about that as well, Kath. Yeah. The, the 2017 top in the land market um, really affected Sydney and Melbourne and uh, not so much WA. WA is a commodity state. It's a mining state, you know, so not, not, not so much Perth, not so much Brisbane and not so much regional areas, but it did affect Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and you, we, we 
still have to, like you can't remove the fundamental fact that when you're making a decision, a purchase decision in the land market and similar to the stock market, you still got to make sure that you buy the right piece of land, like you buy the right stock. There's still you still got to have that in your in your um, investing strategy. Mm. And so it's not a case of I just buy anything and it's going to go up. You have to you have to do your research and you've got to make sure it's in the right location. None of that changes in regards to the cycle. None of that changes. You still have to make the right decisions with that. Does that answer the question, John? Is that what you were looking at? Exceptionally well, Cathy. All right, let's take a break. Uh, I need to calm myself down here because we've got some some big questions to ask you after the break. There's a lot of information to, to take in, especially if you're listening to this sort of stuff for the first time and you're maybe a critic or, or something that's sort of maybe half sceptical about these, these growth patterns because we do talk about history repeating itself and um, and and uh, I suppose economists uh, say that, that history's um, performance is not a prediction of future performance or whatever they say but um, yeah, we're, we're talking really about the opposite here but in any case, we'll have a break and we'll be back in a sec. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Now, before we get back into asking the hard-hitting questions, I just want to make mention that Kathy does have some resources online and we will put them in the show notes below for you to have a visual representation of what we are talking about, particularly when it comes um, to the 18.6-year cycle. Um, and I'm staring at my screen looking at a very impressive clock at the moment, which you will find on PropertyShareMarketEconomics.com. But we will put that link in the show notes as well for you. Now, Kathy, I think one of the biggest questions that um, both John and myself always get from prospective buyers and investors and, and clients is, 
is now a good time to buy or when is the best time to buy and and get into the market? And it's a really difficult question to answer because there's so many factors that go into it. But generally speaking, when do you feel is the best time to get into the market as an investor? Yeah, great question, Emily. And and that does relate to timing to get in and then time in the market as well, uh, those two things. And it also relates to someone's own individual personal situation. But if we take, if we take that, that, that someone has their um, secure income, that they've done their research, that they've done the cash flow analysis, that all, all of that and, and it all makes sense to them, um, the best timing uh, really is now. The best timing is now. Now, if you were to ask me this question in 2024 or 2025 and 2026, I'd be saying be very careful, be very careful. But that's another conversation. But right now, I wouldn't be dilly-dallying. <laughs> I, I really wouldn't be, you know. Um, that's such an Aussie thing to say, <laughs> dilly-dally. I haven't heard but, that for a while. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I just wouldn't be holding off. Um, I, I, you know, there's so much I could say about that, but um, it, now is not the time to procrastinate. And that's really interesting that you say that, Kath, because um, Emily and I are getting so much feedback about, oh, I'm just missing out on, on offers that I put in, I'm getting deflated and the market's heated and it's way overpriced and, and all this carry-on that it's like, well, I don't want to pay at the, at the top dollar at the top of the market. I would much rather wait a year or two until it, um, it crashes back down and I get myself a discount. But from what I'm hearing, you, you're saying that's not, not necessarily going to be the case. Uh, yeah. Okay. So you know, if the if the numbers stack up, and it's a a good it's a good investment. If you wait, the only thing that's going to happen is that you'll need to either save more money <laughs> or get more credit. That's what's going to happen. This is the beauty of understanding history. This is the beauty and this is why it blew my mind, you know, when I found all this research and saw the data for myself is that you you can take comfort in making these types of big decisions because if you do get the timing right, gee, it takes the emotion out of it. And you see, what happened to my family members in the GSC, they didn't do anything wrong. They did nothing wrong with their investment decisions, but they got the timing wrong, yeah? They got the timing wrong. So when I'm saying to you guys out there, if we're having this conversation between 2024 and 2026, I'd be saying be very careful. Be very, very careful with how much credit you take out. But right now it's a different story. Right now I'm very comforted in saying don't. there's no need to wait. There's no need to wait. Just in terms of your, um, you know, speaking there about your family and their timing, I assume you're speaking to the fact that they obviously bought in at the wrong time or did they sell out at the wrong time? They bought in at the wrong time, Emily. Yeah. So they bought in. in the, And you'll see in the resources, in this, um, the, the 14 years up, 
the last couple of years of, of the up is called the winner's curse phase. Mm. We've coined it the winner's curse. And that's because that whole FOMO thing kicks in, you know, fear of missing out. And people are diving into the market. The people that shouldn't be in the market are diving in the market because they've waited and they've waited and the market's not come down and they've waited the market's not come down and it's exciting. That's what happened to my family members. So exciting. There's so much money to be made. <laughs> and they dived, they dived into the market and then it crashed. So on everyone's lips is probably the, the next question of when is the winner's curse going to hit? Well, well if history is repeating, it will start around 2024. So as a pessimist, would I say, well, do I wait? I'm, I'm in 2021 now. Do I go and get three years worth of growth or do I wait until 2026 or seven until it's out of that and then the crash comes down? So I'm waiting essentially five or six years. Mm. You'll be waiting longer than that. Okay. The, the market, yeah, we're looking at the market topping um, from 2026 to 2028. Remember there's four years down after that, right? Right. So we're not looking at the bottom of the market to the end of the decade. So you'd be waiting a long time. Now the different. Now we're now talking investment strategy here. Mm. So yes, if the numbers stack up, and you can get into an investment now or or, or somewhere to live now, then uh, you take those gains of the next three years gains. Take them. The most important thing for someone to do during that period of time of, of the market crashing is that they, they can um, service their debt, that they can have cash buffers, they can service their debt. Um, that's the most important thing to do. Now, I think, you know, your audience are younger you know, if you guys are in your 20s or your 30s, even in your 40s, you have time. You've got time to ride out this next crash, yeah? Um, so there's, therefore, you've got time to ride the market up uh, into this next peak and then just hold, just hold, as long as you can uh, look after and service your debt the problem is, is jumping into the market after 2024 or 2025 when, it, when it's all so exciting and credit's going to be super easy to get. The problem with that is when the market does crash, it's hard to get credit. You can't sell your property. You then sell at a loss and it's all over Red Rover and that's what happened to my family members. They couldn't sell, you know. Um, so it's about the strategy. As someone sitting here um, debating an investment uh, purchasing decision before the end of this year, hopefully, um, it's interesting because I'm sure the brains of others are probably thinking the same, like, you know, do I uh, go for the gain that sounds like it's going to be, you know, peaking in, in maybe four or five years' time and sell out then if, you know, history repeats itself and the crash is going to come or do I you know, power through that downturn, have my cash buffers in place. And I think the problem or the um, the issue with 
millennials and millennials will agree with me. I hope they don't mind me saying this, but we love instant gratification and we love short-term gain. We're always chasing like what next, what next? We don't often or few of us have long-term vision. And I think there would be temptation in knowing what you've just said, Kathy, that people who maybe bought in this year or bought last year would sell out at, you know, what seems to be the peak. Um, but my question would be, what does it look like to hold through a downturn? Will you be will you be better off holding through a downturn and then going through another peak than selling out at that at that first peak? You'd only sell out, Emily, if the strategy makes sense. If it makes sense for your overall big picture of your overall strategy, that's the only time you'd sell out. Um, if you were uh, retiring and you needed to pay down debt because you have to live off your pension or your, your, your SMSF, your self-owned super fund, then you'd think about selling out at the top or close to the top. But if you've still got another couple of cycles left in you, then you do, I, I encourage you to look at the longer term picture and you add to your positions. There's no need to sell out. You add to your positions. Yeah. You can then use the equity in your investment to, to pick up your distressed property at the bottom at the end of the decade. I, yeah. I, I would not encourage selling out at the top if that's not part of your, the bigger picture. And, and I think that's an important point, Kath, because I meet more people that have regret of selling too early than I have met people that say, oh, I shouldn't have held on to that property, for example. So it's really important to note that and just not look at those short-term windfalls and and then go and potentially put their money in something that's inferior than what they'd actually sold out on. But my mind casts back to 2011 where pre-GFC, there were so many people wanting to retire or going to retire um, and then superannuation uh, obviously crashed and people literally overnight lost half of their superannuation and some of them are still working today. So I think it's a really important point that you make about uh, your own individual strategy, which you're, we always talk about, but also your age and your risk profile. Like if you're 55 and you're sitting at the top of the boom and you want to retire at 58, then it, it makes sense to sell in a lot of ways. Whereas if you're 22, uh, it's a different conversation, isn't it? But uh, uh, most of our listeners have not seen any type of downturn. And this is why I was really keen to get you on today, Kath, is to talk about how cycles work and, and just how we can better educate ourselves. Because if one thing millennials have got, it's uh, the, the nous to be able to go and research something and really clue themselves up. And, and I'm sitting here with a book that says 100 Years of Land Values in Chicago. It's 518 pages. So if you, if you really want to know about this stuff in more detail, that's my first book that I would um, pick up and, and buy for Christmas. Yes, well, that book, and I've got mine in front of me, and it's um, it's the relationship of the growth and land values from 1830 to 1933. So this book was written in 1933, yeah? So that is one book to read. The other one is The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking. So that has every single cycle that, that has been researched for us already mm, 
Mm. Is so, it because it's got so many pages in it that stresses it out and we don't pick it up? <laughs> you, you know, I, <laughs> this is, goes, comes back to the instant gratification, I think. Yeah. You know, we yeah, and it's really understanding, well, is it different this time? Surely it's different this time. Surely, surely, surely the crash became because of the, of the pandemic. No, I'm sorry, the crash didn't come because of the pandemic. In 2016, Phil Anderson, who I work with, was telling his subscribers the market's going to crash in 2020. There's going to be a market panic in 2020. Now, I, I know this sounds crazy, but history does repeat. And so um, if you're prepared to be curious and do a little bit of research, in fact, our, our website, the resources section on our website has some of that history there for, for you guys. Just have a little look at that. Have a little look at that and you and just to get an understanding, a little bit of an understanding that we're not, this is not um, pie in the sky information. Mm. Now, what was the question, John? You asked, you asked me. Okay. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, about retiring and the, Something about understanding cycles that, that little bit more. Yes. Look, if you're 22 now or even if you're 32, you know, there's no need to sell at the top. Those that are wealthy, they hold, they buy at the right time and they hold on to it and they sell at the right time that suits them personally. Mm. Yes, take the market into consideration and, and does it suit me personally of where I am in my life stage? Yeah, that those two things need to be taken into consideration, and if you if if you hear, if you think, and if you hear, how can property prices get even higher than what they are now? Well, I've been, I am in my mid fifties, John. I'm you, you when you say if you're fifty five and you retire at fifty eight, like, <laughs> hey, that's me. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I had the same conversations, you know, when I was in my in my 20s, you know, do I buy now, do I hold off, the market's overheated, you know, perhaps I wait, the market will go down and it never did. Mm. It never it never did. Mm. You know? But the, the thing that rings clear to us now and, and we always talk about it is, is you've just got to remain cash heavy. If you're remaining cash heavy, you can see yourself through any sort of down cycle if you want to call it that, and and come out the other side. But it's when we're leveraged to the hilt with limited cash flow and high negative gearing and those sort of um, strategies, philosophies, that's when we can come unstuck. Yeah, very good point, John. So the only thing, if, if you are a younger person and we're getting to the top of the market, the only time I would say to sell is is to reduce your leverage positions to reduce your debt because if you have debt that you cannot service if there's no tenant or if you lose your job and uh, it's at that point in time that you start to protect yourself, you might want to sell one or two properties to be able to ride a crash. That's the only time I would sell as a younger person as we head into the top of the market to protect yourself, to ride out, get that cash buffer position and to ride out that four or five year downturn and then you're in a good position to start adding again to your portfolio. 
Just a closing question from me, um, Kathy, around property investments and you know, you're speaking there about maybe selling some and keeping others and there's interesting statistics around the percentage of Australians that do own four investment properties or more and it's not always about how many you have, a lot of it is to do with the value, but um, in your experience and, and the people that you speak to and that you're surrounded by, why do you think so few people do own multiple property investments? Yeah, it is so few people, isn't it? It's not a huge amount. Less than 1%. Less than 1% for four or more. Yeah, I know. I mean, and you hear, you know, the, the media talk about the investors are what's causing property <laughs> prices to escalate. But, but the investors are such a small percentage. That is why you've got to be curious and not believe everything you hear, you know. Mm. Um, but the question, Emily, what, what, why are there so few? I think um, this is a personal opinion, personal opinion. Yeah. I think it comes back to conditioning. It can't, it, it, it conditioning, whether it's a family conditioning or the school you went to or, 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 or fear, you know, it's, it's, it comes back to conditioning. Um, I th that's what I think. I, I, I think. If, and, okay, and knowing who to bring on to your team, getting some help, getting the right people around you, ask the right questions, getting the right people around you who can help you find the right property, help you with your cash flow, make sure the numbers stack up, and then having just the confidence to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, Kath, I wonder if we said as, as teachers in schools, um, kids go out and get yourselves five properties and, and parents at home were having conversations around the dinner table, um, how many properties are we going to own kids? But the, the message is more let's buy our own home, contribute to super, play it safe and live happily ever after sort of thing. So, yeah, the message needs mm. to change, yeah, so... Yeah, that, that, yes, and, and, and I, I, you're right, the messaging does need, need to change. But I, I know, you know, like this whole bombshell, you know, when I found that actually the GFC was forecasted and, had, you know, it's been like that for the last 200 years and we know when the next one is and, ah, crazy, right, but it's real. Um, uh, my conditioning was leave school, get a job, leave school, get a job, buy a house to live in, leave school, get a job, buy a house to live in. Work hard. Right? Well, I, I left school, I got a job and I bought investment property. I, that's what I did. So it was outside of my conditioning and then I kept adding to it. You know, we, our taxes are so high. Our taxes are so high. I'm, I might be going off on a tangent here now. It could be another conversation, but this also relates to why land values will continue to rise. But the taxes on our earned income when we when we go to work and do a job, our product productivity, our earned income is so high. We've just got to keep working, don't we? Absolutely. We've got to keep working because so much, you know, sometimes up to 45, 47% of our income goes to pay tax. Mm -hmm. And we need the rest of that to pay our mortgage and put food on the table and, you know, have some fun. So we're on this, oh, gosh, we're so busy to even think about how else could this be different? Yeah. No. No. 
Kathy, we could go on for hours and we probably need another episode or two to, to go a little bit deeper and I'm sure we're going to get a lot of listener questions from that. And, and for everyone's information, I reached out to ask Kathy to come on. It wasn't the other way around. We do get a lot of people knock, trying to knock down our door um, and Kathy was half reluctant to actually come on and speak. So I really appreciate you taking up the time to have a chat with us today, Kath. Um, and listeners, hope you guys found that valuable. Uh, as always, reach out into the Facebook group or uh, stay communicated some way or another. List uh, any questions that you might want answered on the show and, and we'll try and do our best, Emily. We will indeed send the questions through. Kathy. such a pleasure to have you on the show today and uh, it's been two years since I've seen you in person, so hopefully there'll be another event or another catch-up sometime soon. Thank you, Emily and John. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Keep well. That's a new one. Keep well. <laughs> we acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.